Please stand as you are able for a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask, them, ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will, not, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of God for the people of God. As we prepare for the sermon this morning, will you pray with me? O oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am a sentimental person living in a small house. So I am in a constant battle for space. I have a really hard time letting go of the sentimental things that remind me of when my children were little, littler, they're still little, um, of my loved ones who have passed away, or of other seasons of my life that are now past. And yet, the house that I can afford in the city that we choose to live in limits how much stuff I can keep. For this reason, I am a new fan of Marie Kondo and her fascinating process for tidying up. If you haven't heard about this phenomenon, I'm going to fill you in real quick. Marie Kondo is a lifestyle consultant. Her focus is on helping people organize their homes in such a way that they have more joyful lives. She wrote a book a few years ago that I never got around to reading. But around New Year's Day this year, her new Netflix series dropped. Eight episodes of real-life people trying to get their lives in order by getting their stuff in order. So Marie tells us that when we are tidying up, we are to gather all our belongings into a pile and consider each item individually and ask ourselves, 
does this spark joy? We only want to keep the things that spark joy for us, whether it's books or dishes or tools or clothes, the process is the same. If it doesn't spark joy, then you thank the item for being a help to you, and then you get it out of your house. You could sell it, you could give it away or donate it. If it's not gonna be any use to anyone, you can throw it away or recycle it. I watched the first episode around New Year's Day, and I immediately felt both blessed and convicted. I turned off the TV after just the first episode, and I cleaned out all my drawers. This is not an exaggeration. I felt almost intoxicated by how tidy my clothes looked, all neatly folded in my drawers, and the way they fit so neatly once the things that did not spark joy were gone. When I did my own drawers, it was just too good, and so I did my kids' drawers. And then Marie says that each adult is supposed to do this process for themselves, so I did not do Andy's drawers for him, but when he got home, I had piled all of his clothes on top of, <laughs> on top of his side of the bed so that he could do it for himself. While I enjoyed all of this tidying up, it's fair to say that it was not easy for me. The hardest part that day was my underwear drawer. For the first 25 years of my life, all of my underwear, all of it, was supplied by my maternal grandmother, Jenny. I literally did not know where or how to buy underwear because I had never needed to, I did not fully understand that it came in different sizes. <laughs> Every year on my birthday and at Christmas, Jenny gave me enough underwear to stock my drawer for the whole year. But in December of 1999, when I turned 25, I got my last set of undies from Jenny. She died in 2000 after a long battle with cancer. And when I opened my drawer last month, inspired by Marie Kondo to keep only those things that spark joy for me, that last set of underwear was still there. So I started off by telling you that I'm a sentimental person and now you see what that looks like in real life. I have moved houses 10 times in the last 19 years. And I moved my last pairs of Jenny underwear every single time. But when I asked myself Marie's question, do these spark joy for me? The answer was no. I actually feel sad when I see them. They were the last ones and they remind me that she died. What's weird about that is that remembering my grandmother in general does not make me sad. I think of her almost every day, and those are warm memories. I have some of her jewelry that I love to wear. Our daughter shares her name. That certainly does not make me sad. 
So I let the underwear go. It went to the curb with the other things that don't spark joy but couldn't be donated. And I can report back to you that my connection to my grandmother is still strong. In fact, she was not that sentimental. So I think she was probably cheering me on. So I hope you can see why I am a fan of this system. As a sentimental person, it's very freeing. And in talking about Marie Kondo's philosophy with friends, we've wondered how far can you take this idea that if something doesn't spark joy for you, you can let it go. For example, can you apply some condo logic to your job? If you don't like it, can you just quit? What about just the parts of your job that you don't like? Maybe you could just stop doing them. <laughs> or what about people? Can you condo a person out of your life if they don't spark joy? Well, I've been thinking about this one a lot. In a sense, that is exactly what Joseph's brothers tried to do to him, although Marie would not at all approve of their methods. If you've never read the story, as Catherine told it to us this morning, you should read it for yourself. It is a great story. I think you probably already have the picture, but Joseph was a real jerk when he was a younger person. His brothers had to work hard, and he didn't. He got lavish gifts. His brothers got very little. The brothers decided to get rid of him. They sold him into slavery in Egypt. And they told their father that Joseph was dead. But people are not like underwear. You can acknowledge that they don't spark joy, and you can try to cut them out of your life, but there's no guarantee that they will stay out. Due to circumstances far beyond their control, the brothers end up seeking out Joseph's help without realizing it, and the result is the scene that Kristen read for us this morning. The person they had cut out of their life was standing before them, desperately happy to see them, and offering to save their lives. Can you condo a person. I think Marie would say that you can. I think there are circumstances where, for our own mental health and sometimes even our own physical health, we have to declare a relationship over. That is sometimes the kindest and most gracious thing we can do for each other. It's important that we not read Joseph's story or Jesus' instruction to turn the other cheek as a command to stay in an abusive or unhealthy relationship. That does not sound like Jesus. But would God want us to condo someone simply because we don't like them? I think not. We have four Gospels that give us insight into Jesus, his words, and his actions. And he never said, 
like other people. He never said that our feelings about other people should determine how we treat them or our relationship with them. He seems actually to be pretty uninterested in how we feel about other people. Our gospel reading this morning is specifically geared toward how we treat people who do not spark joy for us. And the Gospel of Luke helps us understand that Jesus knows all about that. He knows all about people who do not spark joy. Matthew's Gospel sends wise men to visit the young Jesus, fancy scholars bearing fancy gifts. Luke doesn't mention the wise men. Luke sends the shepherds, unimpressive, stinky, and empty-handed at the manger. In the fourth chapter, we meet a man with an unclean spirit. He is literally screaming at Jesus in the temple, harassing Jesus until he gets his attention. In the fifth chapter, Luke tells us that Jesus begins to encounter people who are covered in skin sores. This makes them unattractive, to be sure, but they're also considered ritually unclean. And he soon encounters Levi, who's a tax collector, who was apparently loathed and hated by everyone. Next, he meets up with religious leaders who pretty much dare him to heal a man on the Sabbath, and he does it. And then the text tells us that the religious leaders were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So by the time we get to our gospel reading this morning in chapter 6, Jesus knows exactly what he is asking his disciples to do because he's very familiar with undesirable people asking him for help, seeking him out, pushing his buttons, harassing him, and even threatening him. I hope you have some people in your life who are easy to love. I do. I think Jesus did. He seems to have specifically chosen people for an inner circle that loved him and that were easy to love. But if that's all you've got, people who are easy to love, then I would like to suggest that you have condoed your life too carefully. I'm not sure you can actually follow Jesus if you don't have any people that you don't like in your life. Because so much of what Jesus tells us to do and to be about is about how we respond to people who are hard to love. That is how we practice our faith. I need to own up front that I am not great at this. It would be my preference to gather up the people I don't like, the people who make life difficult for me, the people who are unkind to me, the people who are unkind to my children, I want to gather them all up, and I want to leave them on the curb with the rest of the things that do not spark joy for me. 
I would like for my life to be as tidy as my chest of drawers. But while I feel like Jesus can get on board with loosening my attachments to the stuff in my house, the readings this morning remind me that my life is not intended to be that tidy, and neither is the church. God never asked us to consider whether or not anyone belongs in the family of God. In fact, he told us very specifically not to do that. And I thank God for that. Because some of us spark joy on our good days, and we spark other stuff on other days. My reading from Scripture, though, is that we all spark joy for God. I think the reason Jesus didn't limit his mission to one group or another is that he loved them all. I think the reason he tells his followers to treat those they dislike with dignity and respect is because he loves those people too. I don't have any reason to think that the people that I disagree with are not the apple of God's eye, just like I am. There is not a single person in all of history that God would condo to the curb. In fact, my reading of Scripture is that the curb is Jesus' favorite place to hang out. Jesus is looking for who has been left out, and he says, bring them in. Jesus is looking for who has been rejected, and he says, that one belongs to me. This is why the conversation that's happening this week in St. Louis, where the United Methodist Church is convening to discern a way forward on sexuality, well, it's stupid. I mean, it's important, but it's also stupid. The church doesn't get to decide who sparks joy for God. When we try to do that, and we have done it before, we look like fools. I really wish we'd just stop it. Our senior pastor, Dalton, was a political science major. I was a psychology major, both at the same college, a few years apart. I think because of his political science background, he's able to look at what's unfolding in our church in a way that is more nuanced and complicated than the way that I see it. If you're interested in those nuances and complexities, I highly recommend his blog. When I watch what's unfolding, the fact that we are even having this conversation about who is in and who is out, it's a failure to love, as Jesus asked us to. Our sermon series this month has been based on our prayer during communion that goes like this. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. 
People are not underwear, and the church is not a chest of drawers. When Jesus comes back and invites us to the heavenly banquet, he is not going to find the ways that we have divided ourselves interesting or helpful. There won't be special seating for those who cleaned out their lives or their church to remove those they disagree with or who they found difficult to love. There will not be one banquet for conservatives and one banquet for liberals and a third banquet for moderates. There will just be one banquet. And if anyone has been left on the curb, Jesus is going to give that person the place of honor. The good news, if we have ears to hear it, is that we don't have to change how we think or how we feel. Honestly, that is the Holy Spirit's job. We just have to be open to it. When Christ comes in final victory, we'll be accountable for how we acted, not how we felt. We are to treat all people, all people, all of the people, like children of God, because that is what we are. Amen.